Our scripture this morning is uh, taken from the book of Luke, chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 20. This is a very familiar passage of scripture, but for that reason, we need to pay even closer attention to it, because we know that what is familiar is very often taken for granted and overlooked. This is what God says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left him, left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. You may be seated. Have you ever wondered, where is God? At Thanksgiving, we took our four-year-old grandson, Landon, to see the trumpeter swans at Magnus Lake up by Heber Springs. As uh, with most four-year-old boys, he quickly lost interest, but he asked Susan if he could borrow her binoculars for a while. And of course, uh, he looked at everything except the trumpeter swans. And finally, he pointed the binoculars up into the sky, and he said, the sky is very blue but I don't see Jesus. 
Well, Landon was not the first person to make that observation. Back in 1961, Yuri Gargarin, the Russian uh, cosmonaut, surprised the whole world by completing an orbit in space around the world. And afterwards, he is supposed to have said, I looked and looked, but I didn't see God. Have you ever wondered, where is God? Habakkuk, one of the Old Testament prophets, wondered. In Habakkuk chapter 1, in verses 2 through 4, we read this complaint of Habakkuk. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Where are you, God? Why aren't you doing anything about the mess our world is in. What Habakkuk did not understand is that God's activity in this world is more real than it is apparent. Let me say that again. God's activity in this world is more real than it is apparent. Look at how God responds to Habakkuk's complaint in verses 5 and 6. God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places, not their own. Now, you can look at all the human history books about the events mentioned here in this text, and you will not find one single reference to God's activity in them. But we know from Scripture, even if the people in that day couldn't see it, even if Habakkuk, a prophet of God, couldn't see it, that it was God who was raising up the dreaded Babylonians and the mighty Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish his purposes here on earth. You see, God's activity in this world is more real than it is apparent. Let's look now at our text and see if we can see more of God's activity here on earth. First of all, do you see that God is active in ordinary events. One of the reasons that we do not see or we miss seeing God's activity here on earth is because we have a tendency to think that God is only active in miracles. But God is the God of ordinary events as well. And God is just as active in ordinary events as he is in miracles. We've already seen how God was using 
Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to accomplish his purposes here on earth at the beginning of Israel's time of exile. Now look over in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 1 through 4. And it says there, This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains, I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. God used Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to accomplish his purposes here on earth at the beginning of Israel's time of exile. Now we're told in this text that God used Cyrus, the emperor of the Persian Empire, to accomplish his purposes here on earth at the end of Israel's time of exile. If you look above in chapter 44, verse 28 the last verse of that chapter, it says, Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. In these verses, Cyrus, the emperor of the Persian Empire, is called God's shepherd, his servant. He's called his anointed, his Messiah, who is accomplishing God's sovereign purposes here on earth. Both Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus were servants of God in the sense that God was using them to accomplish his good purposes here on earth. Again, If you look in the history books, you will find no mention of God's activity in these events. But we see in scripture what we would not see otherwise, that God is active in ordinary events, in the political and the military operations of nations. In Luke chapter 2 verse 1, It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. A strictly administrative action. Something that takes place in our country every 10 years. A very ordinary event. Ordinary, but not popular. The historian Josephus tells us that there were several uprisings that took place uh, because of this decree. People back then, like now, did not trust their leaders. They suspected their motives. 
censuses tended to go hand in hand with taxation. And there was also the matter that for the Israelites, anyhow, they were being ruled by a foreign power, by this Roman Empire. They considered themselves to be slaves. And besides that, it created a lot of inconvenience for people because they had to travel to their ancestral homes to register. For Joseph and Mary, that meant a journey of about 90 miles from their home in Nazareth. And Mary was was way pregnant. Most of the people at that time resented this decree. It was a bother for them. But do you see God's activity in this event? Just as Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus are called God's servants in scripture, so Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the world, was simply a servant of God in this event. And he was bringing to pass the prophecy made by the prophet Micah in Micah 5.2 that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. God was at work through this ordinary event to bring about his sovereign purpose. Do you doubt that God is just as active in ordinary events today as he was in Bible times? Don't. It's just that God's activity in this world is more real than it is apparent. Secondly, Do you see that God is active in ordinary places? Mike talked about this uh, last week. But isn't it surprising that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem? That the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, would be born in a little village? And even in modern times, apparently, according to Mike's adolescent uh, diary, I mean journal, uh, (laughs) Bethlehem is still not a very impressive place. Bethlehem was to Jerusalem what places like Palarm and Gravel Ridge are to Little Rock. Nothing ever happens there. But God is active in ordinary places. When uh, we moved to McRae, Arkansas about nine years ago, I had to stop at a nearby town by the name of Ward to get some gas. And as I was driving into town, I noticed a little building that had a decrepit old sign on it that said, Ward Coliseum. Well, obviously it was a joke, but I did find out later that uh, they did host uh, midget wrestling on Saturday nights and uh, an occasional community dance. Uh, To my knowledge, Garth Brooks has never booked the Ward Coliseum for a show, nor anybody else of note. Why? 
because entertainers like the big cities. That's where things are happening. But God doesn't operate like that. God is active in ordinary places like Bethlehem. And even more obscure places than that. How about the outskirts of Bethlehem where the shepherds were? Garth Brooks wouldn't even take his show to the Colosseum in Ward. Do you think he would take his show to a field outside of Ward? But that's what God did. The angelic host made a command performance in a field outside of Bethlehem to a group of shepherds. You see, God is active in ordinary places. God is active in big, spectacular churches like Emmanuel Baptist and Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, but God is also active in little ordinary churches like ours. God is active in well-known, nationally known ministries like Focus on the Family and Family Life. But God is also active in little local ministries like the Union Rescue Mission and the Dorcas House. God is active in large events like R.C. Sproul conferences. But God is also active in little ordinary Bible studies. God is active in ordinary homes where parents are patiently very patiently instructing their children in the things of God. And God is active in ordinary workplaces where Christians are being salt and light and being a benefit to their communities as a result. Do you doubt that God is just as active in ordinary places today as he was in Bible times? Don't. It's just that God's activity in this world is more real than it is apparent. And finally, do you see that God is active in the lives of ordinary people? Isn't it amazing that God's announcement of a Savior wasn't made to rich, powerful people in an important city, but rather to poor, lowly shepherds in a field? You know, shepherds were some of Israel's heroes. People like Moses and Abraham and David. But at this time, shepherds did not have a very good reputation. And according to some rabbinic sources, they say that most of the time they were dishonest and thieving. They led their herds onto other people's land and pilfered the produce of the land. Because they were often months at a time without supervision, they were often accused of stealing some of the increase of the flock. Consequently, the pious were warned not to buy wool, 
milk or kids from shepherds on the assumption that it was stolen property. Shepherds were not allowed to fulfill a judicial office or be admitted in court as witnesses. A midrash on Psalm 23.2 reads, There is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. These guys were less than ordinary. Why, why proclaim the gospel, the good news of salvation from our sins, to people like this? Well, the angel said this in verses 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Notice the word all. It will be for all the people. No group of people is excluded. The gospel, the good news, is not just for important people, not just for special people, not just for good people, not just for adults, not just for children, not just for white people, not just for black people. It's for all people. No one is excluded. The good news, the gospel, is proclaimed to all people. Now, what did the shepherds see when they went to Bethlehem to see what the angels had told them about? What they saw was a tiny, helpless baby lying in a manger, attended by two common, ordinary parents, surrounded by barnyard animals, in the midst of a bunch of people who didn't even know that a Savior had been born to them that night. But the shepherds weren't disappointed. The text says they believed and were filled with joy. But where did that belief come from? Surely it couldn't have come from what they saw. Would you have been able to see in that tiny helpless baby lying in a manger, in that condition, the Savior of the world? Where did this belief of the shepherds come from? Well, to paraphrase our president... They did not build that faith. It was a gift from God. And it's evidence that God is at work, that God is active in the lives of ordinary people. The angelic host said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. You see, peace and salvation are pronounced as a gift upon those who are humble enough to acknowledge their need, on those who are willing 
to admit that they are sinners in need of a Savior. To those who are honest enough to admit that there is nothing that they can do to make themselves better and who look alone to God. Both the gospel and the positive reception of the gospel are a gift from God and are proof positive that God is active in the lives of ordinary people. Just this last year in our church, we have uh, seen a number of our children profess their faith in Jesus Christ. Think back on those times. What happened? Mike called them up here. He asked them some questions from a blue book. And then, if Mike remembered, he gave them a Bible afterwards to commemorate the situation. And we were all sitting in our pews, and it was sweet. But it was really, if you stop and think about it, a pretty ordinary event that takes place in church. And our kids are pretty ordinary people. But you see that profession of faith, the fact that they have believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior is proof positive. It's evidence that God is active in the lives of ordinary people. Do you doubt that God is just as active in the lives of ordinary people today as he was in Bible times? Don't. It's just that God's activity here on earth is more real than it is apparent. Have you ever wondered where God is? Well, we wouldn't be wrong to say that God is everywhere. After all, omnipresence is one of the attributes of God. I think uh, uh, the, the Gilchrist Sunday School is studying right now on the attributes of God. So it wouldn't be wrong to say that God is everywhere. But sometimes it's really hard to see God, isn't it? I love Mary's response to all these things that were going on in her life. In verse 19, it says, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. To treasure up means to store information in your mind for, for careful consideration. For to ponder means to give careful thought to. Uh, in today's manner of speaking, we would say to get it all together. You know, sometimes it is hard to see what God is doing in the world. For the funeral that I preached uh, last weekend, I used a text from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that I think is very, very, very much to the point of what we are talking about. Because there in chapter 3, it talks about that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. 
a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I have seen the burden that God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of man, yet they cannot fathom what, has, what God has done from beginning to end. Think about those things that are mentioned there. Doesn't that describe our lives? The events in our lives are beyond our control, and very often it's hard to make any sense of them. It's hard to make any sense of what's going on in the world. It's hard to see God. But this text assures us that God has made everything beautiful in its time. But it's hard to see that, isn't it? We need to follow Mary's example and treasure up these things, to ponder them. Human history books won't help us in this because it's only in God's word that we see to some extent where God is and what he is doing in our lives and in this world. Do you doubt that God is just as active today in ordinary events, ordinary places, and ordinary people's lives as he was in Bible times? Don't. It's just that God's activity in this world is more real than it is apparent. The Bible tells us so, and that's something to rejoice about. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, how thankful we are for your word. Father, apart from that, this world and our lives would be incredibly confusing and painful and meaningless. Father, we thank you that you not only created this world, but that in spite of the fact that we messed it up with our sin, you are at work restoring it. And even though it's difficult to see, your word says that you are making everything beautiful in its time. And we look forward, Father, to that day when Jesus comes again, when the old order will pass away and all things will be made new. Father, give us the eyes of faith to see you at work in our lives and in this world. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.